This is my first memory of feeling completely vulnerable with no protection. My first memory of oppression's weight burdening me. My first memory of the walls of cis-heteromasculine and religious prescription laying bricks around my feet. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm Eric Harris. And I'm Kapalee Kalnick. We're your host of Season 5, Black Trans Stories Matter. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in at tmiproject.org, thank you. As you listen, please keep in mind this program was executed during the peak of the pandemic. The performances and interviews were all recorded over Zoom. While the audio quality may be a little lackluster, the content is gold and too good not to share. Let's dive in. Today, we're celebrating KC. I'm a teacher and I'm always trying to read the latest information about trauma and how it impacts youth, especially when I'm trying to improve systems that harm children, especially our queer babies. I became a teacher because I didn't see any queer people in school, let alone queer Black people. So when I'm twirling through the hallways and my outfits, being comfortable in who I am, it's been an evolution. It didn't just happen overnight. My kids know that no matter what, if you learn nothing else from Mixed Casey, you know that I can be myself. I don't care what nobody in my family says. I don't care what none of these other peers of mine say or people out in the world. I remember this one teacher who reminded me that who I am is important and it's magical and I it's okay to be me. That's I tell you, that's your only responsibility is to be, to find yourself and to know yourself, unpack all the BS from social media and the world and capitalism and all those things. Like, who are you really? And be true to that. I'm still, huh, I'm, I'm still teaching. I made it through the pandemic and it's hard, but we're doing it. I love the kids. So here I am. KC is such a powerful and outspoken person. I always go back and forth whether to share or not. And so when I seen this opportunity, I was like, oh, I have to do it. I, immediately, I was like, oh my God, Black trans people. I was like, this is the perfect place for me to feel comfortable enough to share because I don't like explaining who I am. That's just not something that, that's a hobby that some people who are marginalized take on and I'm not interested. So I think having a space where I don't have to explain anything and it's just kind of like already understood and like Black trans people just get the intersections of the shit that we experience on a regular basis. And so I think that's what made me feel like, okay, I'll share in this space because I won't have to be explaining so much and giving people all this context. They just know because they also have been through it. And I feel like for so many of us, we have so many commonalities, just like in our experiences with religion and like parents manifesting us through wanting a child of a certain gender, quote unquote, and then, you know, us manifesting in the way that we are and not the way that they imagined. So it was just, it was a beautiful experience. I'm so excited to hear Casey's story again. Stay tuned after the story to hear more from our chat with Casey. I'm kneeling in the corner of the living room, hiding between the couch and the piano. 
In one hand, I hold my original Barbie doll with blonde hair, blue eyes, and pale skin. She's wearing a shimmering two-piece pink bikini with a gold paisley overlay pattern and gold ruffles around the triangle bra and bikini bottom sides. To set it off, she's accessorized with some large gold hoops. Although she's new and she's cute, she's not my favorite doll in my growing collection. I begged my mother to buy her strictly for the bikini and earrings. In the other hand, I hold Black Panther's love interest, the realist of the X-Men, the one who could change the weather in the blink of an eye. Storm comes in a full bodysuit with a satin-like finish and a long cape laying down her back that has black on the front side and red underneath. The cape is attached to the X-Men logos on her shoulders. Her piercing white hair is the perfect accent to her deep chocolate skin. Most importantly, Shorty is wearing electric green glow-in-the-dark thigh-high rubber go-go boots. Honey, she is ready to take these skies and these streets. I love her fiercely from watching cartoons with my dad and two brothers. She is one of the first characters I've seen on TV who resonates with me. Basically, in my mind, I am her and she is me. Storm and I have plans. She is the ruler of all my dolls. I want Storm to wear Barbie's bikini because she deserves a vacation for putting up with them white people on TV. As I continue hiding, I carefully begin to undress each doll. I lay out their clothes above their head. I dress Barbie first to get it over with. Then comes the moment of truth. The moment I had imagined when I first saw that fucking bikini in the toy aisle at the store. I begin to carefully dress Storm in Barbie's bikini. Baby, them two-piece with them green boots is a motherfucking look. I smile at Storm with glistening eyes and sincere contentment in my five-year-old heart. As joy overwhelms my body from head to toe, my father's hand angrily snatches Storm from me. I told you not to change their clothes. I watch as my father proceeds to throw Storm in the kitchen trash. A rage sparks so deep in me that every fiber of my being catches fire. My body loses feeling. This is my gateway to hell. I wish Storm could save me. I wish I had the superpowers to save myself. This is my first memory of feeling completely vulnerable with no protection. My first memory of my stress response system being activated. My first memory of oppression's weight burdening me. My first memory of the walls of cis-heteromasculine and religious prescription laying bricks around my feet. My first memory of being inadvertently told that who I innately was was not enough. My first memory of a common villain in my life appearing on my journey, cis-hetero Black men the beginning of my complex PTSD. The loss of storm birth continuous cycles of resentment and self-doubt, phases of dolls and no dolls, a sort of tug of war between me and myself, me and my family, me and the world. From this moment, I try to suppress my true desires to fit inside the walls being constructed around me. I want to avoid the torment because it feels like a ubiquitous burden I can never escape. Some years later, my mother, my siblings, and I pay a visit to my granny, the matriarch known for her no-nonsense approach to life. Unbeknownst to me, this time is extra special. Like my mother, my granny sees herself in me and often sneaks me gifts she knows my father would vehemently contest. When we arrive, my granny tells me she has something for me. There is a secret nook behind her chair in the kitchen. From the cabinet, she slowly pulls out a doll and hands it to me. She saw it in a pile of items donated to the church and thought of me. It's a Padme doll from Star Wars. 
My granny has no idea I've been watching the newly released Star Wars prequel films with my dad and brothers. I'm secretly living for Padme and the intergalactic snatch she serves from head to toe. To top it all off, she secures my man Anakin, so naturally, I want to be her in the movie. This doll, this Padme doll, is giving me couture desert realness, wearing a hooded, long sleeve ombre dress. Shades of red and orange and yellow bleed into each other in a silk-like fabric. Queen Amidala is giving face with her signature Star Wars beat, a face painted white with red accents, two dots on her cheek, a solid red upper lip, and a red stripe down her bottom lip. I immediately release her from her shackles of packaging. There are so many strings to cut delicately without damaging her long brown hair or beautiful outfit. Again, I find a place to hide, this time behind the large round ottoman in the center of my granny's living room. I play with Padme until it's time to go, constantly looking over my shoulder to ensure no one is going to take her from me. I don't plan on telling my father, and my mother's look and sigh confirms it will either be our little secret or she'll convince him to let me keep it. The next day, despite my happiness about having the new doll, I feel a deep sense of shame. I'm disgusted with myself. I walk down the hallway from the kitchen to the trash. I lay my Padme doll on top, barely holding back the tide of tears. I rush back to my room and sit in my bed with conflicting voices sounding off in my head. I can hear the voices of my father, my brothers, and everyone around me. Playing with dolls is not pleasing in the eyes of God. But I love my dolls. Dolls are for girls. You're not a girl. You're a boy. But, but I love my dolls. No matter how many times I pray and cry out to God for relief, to be healed, I never receive an answer. I want so desperately to be normal, to be invisible. I absorb the lies dealt by others. Suddenly overtaken with emotion, I dash back to the kitchen to save Padme from the same fate of Storm and so many of my other dolls. The trash can, a grave for my shame, a supposed resting place for all the things that I need to throw away about myself. Thankfully, today, my spirit is resurrected and sure. Through all my trials, my traumas, and my turmoils, my authentic essence remains well and intact. The ancestors preserved me, honey and could no longer allow me to bury all this magic. I lost too many years of my life believing my happiness was in heaven was more important than my happiness here on earth. Now I know I don't need permission from anybody but my damn self. There are no words in any language with the capacity to hold the fullness of my being, but trans will do. It's not a choice, it's who I am. I was not created to operate under the auspices of anyone's spurious socializations or truncated imaginations. There are no walls to hinder me. I knock them bitches down like Jericho. It gives me unrequited liberty and infinite possibility to be, to just be. It turns out I do have superpowers I needed to save myself all along. I am my wildest dream come true. We caught up with Casey recently and asked them about the experience of writing and sharing their story. Being the true worrisome Aquarius that I am, I added in a line or two to just, you know, close it out and make sure that it was uh, more reflective of where I am now because 
I really wanted people of the trans experience to know that it doesn't get easier, but it gets better. And that the beauty of our queerness is that we are sovereign. We have the ability to self-determine and that's what makes queer people magical because we not only have the audacity to know who we are and recognize who we are, but also honor it through action, through, you know, how we manifest ourselves and how we see ourselves. Because I feel like being a trans person is like a vision come true. I tell people all the time, like, I am my own dream come true. I didn't imagine growing up trying to make money or doing some kind of fancy job. I just want to be. I just want to exist safely in the world. That's my only goal in life. I feel safe because I've also established boundaries. We teach people how to treat us. There's just certain things that I don't accept. And through holding firm to my boundaries, it's very isolating and lonely. Once you hold true to your boundaries, the people that honor you come. People go to church, you know, like they say, I'm refill the gas tank or I'm going to church because, you know, it heals the cell. But it's also just like a biological connection. They say you release, what, like four times the amount of oxytocin, one of those happy body drugs, serotonin. When you feel a part of a group, then you do by doing a drug. It helps calm your nervous system just by being in community with people. It's nature's ability to heal ourselves through community. And so I think we're always going to have those terrible experiences where people are trying to be harmful or mean to us. But if we can always come back and um, have buffer, as they call it, there's a book that I was reading by Nadine Burke Harris. And she talks about in trauma, one of the things for kids that helps them recover from the trauma is by having a buffer. And I don't think that that's just applicable to children. I think it's also applicable to adults. I notice even when I'm getting dressed, I'll be like, okay, I don't want to draw attention to myself. I'm already a trans person. Like, what if they clock me? And then it becomes a whole thing. So the fear is real. So I don't want people to think that like, oh, I live this happy, joyful life. Like, no, boo, I got anxiety too. <laughs> I got depression and PTSD too. I'm just figuring out how to navigate it but also standing firm on this is who I am. I have this community to come back to that's uplifting me and supporting me. It always comes back to community and just being together. We had an amazing group of storytellers and Casey hit the nail on the head. I felt like we all had a foundational understanding of each other and connection with each other because we are all Black and trans. We can't often find groups of us out in the wild. Black Trans Stories Matter brought the group together but Casey and their fellow storytellers created their own community based on a connection that was even deeper than the shared experience of the workshop. I probably talked to Sanaya the most regularly. Shout out to my mermaid sister. Hey, girl. <laughs> I do think it changed my life in many ways because it was also like a reminder that although that there are many words in the world that mine are still important and that as trans people, we should share our stories because even if one person's life has changed or if one person can resonate or one person feels like, you know, their life is worth living, then, you know, it was, everything was worth it that I experienced because I always, my goal is always to think about what my ancestors did for me and all the sacrifices that they made. And I know that my existence is a privilege and I have a responsibility to make the road easier for those who are coming after me the same way that they did for me because that's the only way we build safety and we build community. It's our responsibility to carry the mantle. They're not here anymore physically. So I'm always thinking about my ancestors, my two grandmothers, Irene and Thelma, who faced transphobia, although they were cis women. I think about my own mom and all the sacrifices she has made and just really 
women and femmes and like other gender fluid non-men people who really have sacrificed themselves for me to even exist freely, have a job and go outside and do those things. So when I think about the big picture, you know, it definitely has changed my life. So it was just, it was a beautiful experience. Thank you so much, Casey. Next up is Eddie, who reflects on his mental health journey as he tells us about his time in feeling school. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. I'm Eric. And I'm Kapalee. Black Trans Stories Matter was created by barroom icon, actress, and TMI Project storyteller, Ms. Cece Suazo. The program and workshops are led by me and Kapalee Kalnick. If you like what we're doing, Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 5 of the TMI Project podcast, Black Trans Stories Matter, is produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written and edited by me, Eric Harris. It was mixed and mastered by Stevie Manns. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. TMI Project's Executive Director is Eva Tenuto. Our Operations and Programs Manager is Blake File. Our Marketing and Digital Coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our Graphic Designer is Lauren Gill. In addition to me and Capely Kalanick, our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Haley Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkind, Dara Lurie, Julie Novak, Blake File, Eva Tenuto, and Micah. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast. That is secret you're keeping.